I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of Noctorum, which features my guest today on the program, Marty Wilson Piper. Let me tell you a little bit about Marty Wilson Piper. Now, before I do that, let me tell you a story. About 10 years ago, I interviewed Marty, and we had a great conversation, and he was telling me how he's such a music fan that if he buys an album or if someone gives him an album or if he just gets something in the mail from a fan that's, you know, a band that they're in or whatever, he doesn't get rid of it no matter what. So he has this enormous music collection. I call it the Marty Wilson Music Industrial Complex. And everything there is alphabetized and cataloged in a very specific way, very much like a library of some kind. Anyway, the Marty Wilson Piper Music Industrial Complex Archive whatever, uh, I imagine in my brain as being like a very intricate kind of like a wine cellar, you know, where it's temperature controlled, you need a special key to get in. There's a password, a handshake, uh, a guard. I don't know. Um, But the point is, the reason why I'm telling you this is because ever since he told me that, you know, that he never gets rid of any music, once it's in his possession, it goes into the archive, uh, it's kind of done my head in a little bit because I get a lot of music. People have given me music for years, whether it's a band who wants me to play them on my radio show or someone who wants me to get their band, uh, you know, on the podcast or they want me to uh, write about them on Stereo Embers magazine. A lot of music comes my way and I just can't keep it all right. So every time and this happens like every day, honestly, every time I say to myself, well, should I keep this album or should I get rid of it? I always think, well, what would Marty Wilson Piper do? <laughs> and I mean, the answer to that is, well, he, he would keep it. Uh, but I have to really I have to really give it some thought. And ultimately, you know, I got to make a decision. But the very first question that's in my head is always, what would Marty Wilson Piper do? And, you know, it's kind of funny because in this interview, he actually does kind of touch on that question. But before we talk any more about what Marty Wilson Piper would do, let me tell you what Marty Wilson Piper has done. Born in Cheshire, England, Marty Wilson Piper didn't start playing guitar until he was 14. When his 21-year-old brother, who was in a kind of cabaret band at the time, sat him down and showed him how it was done, Wilson Piper was hooked. 
His parents gave him a 1974 Fender Stratocaster for his birthday, and he bought himself a 12-string. Armed with two guitars, he started his own band with his friends from school. But neither lasted. Wilson Piper left the band and school behind, and he decided to travel. He took the train, and he took his guitar on that train, and he found himself traveling all over Europe. He was busking, he was seeing things, he was meeting people, he was being a young guy who was checking out the world. He came back home to England, did a few odd jobs, but the travel bug was still very much alive in Marty Wilson Piper. His first plane ride ever brought him to Sydney, where he immediately started checking out the live scene. In the span of just a few weeks, he had seen the church play several times. Then a three-piece, who just so happened to be looking to become a four-piece, they recruited Marty Wilson Piper as a second guitar player. Wilson Piper thinks he was recruited to join the church thanks to his look. A fake tiger skin jacket, really tight pants, and a perm. He says that frontman Steve Kilby figured if someone looked like that, he could probably play. Well, he was right. The rest truly is history. But for the sake of time, let me just say this. The church went on to become one of the most influential bands of the last 50 years. With a sound that could be a dreamy blend of 60s jangle and swirling psychedelia, the church were hard to categorize, which ended up giving them a wider appeal. When I was a teenager in the 80s, music was very tribal. But the mods, the goths, the indie rockers, the punks, and even the metalheads could all agree on one thing. We all love the church. Their 1988 album Starfish made the biggest splash in the U.S. thanks to the single Under the Milky Way. But the fact is the church are a band loved across the world. Wilson Piper was with the church for 30 years. He left in 2013. But three years before his departure, the church were inducted into the area Hall of Fame. Okay, so why did I cram a 30-year career into just a couple of minutes? Well, because Marty Wilson Piper's career isn't just about the church. It's about so much more. And I'm about to cram all that into a couple of minutes, too. Bear with me. Let's see if we can do this. So I think of Marty Wilson Piper the same way I think of Johnny Marr. They're both the two best utility players on the planet. In other words, they're so musically versatile, they can pretty much do anything. Marty actually addresses this in our conversation, so I'll let him explain all that. But let me say this. If you think I'm exaggerating about Marty Wilson Piper's versatility, check out this partial list of what he's done. He was a full-time member of the UK band All About Eve, and for a short time, he was a member of The Saints. He's co-written songs with everyone from Amy Mann to Rob Dickinson of The Catherine Wheel to Four Non Blondes. He's played on records by Tom Verlaine, Jules Shear, Brick Smith, and Cinerama. He's put out a series of solo albums, including four under the Nocturum moniker, he plays with the Swedish band Anecdoten and the experimental outfit Moat, and believe me, the list goes on. Marty Wilson Piper is pretty much unstoppable. But back to Noctorum. The band's new long player, The Afterlife, is nothing short of stunning. It's a stirring song cycle that's awash in mystery, jangling pop gems, and swirling psychedelia. The album proves that Marty Wilson Piper just keeps getting better and better. But don't just take my word for it. The numbers don't lie. The Afterlife debuted on four different Billboard charts, hitting the top 50 in Heat Seekers, Alternative Albums, Indie Albums, and Rock Albums. Now, on the subject of Marty Wilson Piper's archive, it's the real deal. 
It's called the In Deep Music Archive, and it's a comprehensive collection of vinyl that numbers over 50,000 pieces. But it's more than just that. In fact, it has its own website, and on the website, here's the description of the archive. The In Deep Music Archive is an eclectic collection of music in many forms, an historical and contemporary library of all available physical formats, vinyl, CD, cassette, reel-to-reel tape, 8-tracks, 78s, VHS, DVDs, Laserdiscs, reference books, encyclopedias, catalogs, biographies, and magazines. I told you it was comprehensive. Collected by Marty Wilson Piper over the past 50 years, the archive has grown into this wonderful collection through a life of scouring the record stores around the world, but also through generous donations from friends, fans, and record labels alike. Any funding goes directly towards either running costs or increasing the content. Our ambition for the archive is to create a musical cultural center with a small venue that will also be used for music lessons and workshops and as a meeting place for music lovers in a unique atmosphere. Pretty cool, right? Well, if you think it sounds cool, go to YouTube and check out the Indeep Music Archive video. It's unbelievable. Now, Marty Wilson Piper is on tour with his wife Olivia. They're touring the Nocturum album, but you can still get a guitar lesson from Marty via Skype. I'll tell you how to do that, but first, let's get to the interview. But before we do, I want to say this. I've interviewed thousands of people, and Marty Wilson Piper is one of the nicest. You're going to love this guy. He radiates charisma. He's smart. He's funny. He loves music, and he has a huge heart. So enjoy this conversation with me and Marty Wilson Piper right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Let me tell you how it works. If somebody tells you it's crap, you ignore them and tell them they're wrong. If somebody tells you it's great, you go, yeah, thank you. (laughs) It's a a good rule for life. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I mean, why not? I mean, negativity never helps anybody. I mean, I suppose some people need to be told what's wrong with them in order for them to fix their problems, I suppose. If you're in denial about something terrible about yourself that everybody's telling you and you're ignoring, I, I suppose on a psych- psychology level, uh, on a therapy level, that that's, uh, you do need somebody to tell you the truth and help you get out of the doldrums of your, of your denial. <laughs> but uh, on an artistic level, you know, who knows better than you, really? I mean... I mean, also remember you you write music based on how you see it at the time and you write music and create things based on w- w- your experience and your era and your age and it's like people who like electronic music probably aren't going to like Deep Purple right right they're probably not going to like Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath. But are there, are there albums that also you find that as you get older that you start to realize that you can appreciate? Like, you know, for example, I always loved Talk Talk. Um, and, I, and I finally, as a 48-year-old man, am getting my head around the Spirit of Eden in a way that I, I don't think I could have when I was 20. 
how old was I when that record came out? I was 30 when that record came out. So maybe that's, that's, yeah, I was, it was 1988, that album, wasn't it? Right. So I was, I was 30 when that record came out. I mean, I, I, uh, how can I answer that? Um, perhaps you like things, it's, um, it's, it's the thing is, it's, well, that, that, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Sorry, I'm uh, stuttering here because I'm trying to give you a, a, the right and most profound answer. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the thing is, this is the point that how you react to something as a piece of art, whether it's somebody else's or something that you created, the circumstances of that are where you're at, how old you are, what your experiences are, um, and perhaps at eight years old, you might find the lyrics to Fat-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands not something that's turning you on, but maybe Britney Spears does. Um, and when you're older or when you're a, a thoughtful teenager, you might find the lyrics to Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands something stimulating and interesting. Um, but you know what? Everybody's different. Everybody has a different relationship with music, a different experience. Some people hear guitars and go, ugh. Some people hear electronics and they go, ugh. Some people hear reggae and they go, ugh. And some people hear heavy metal and go, ugh. And other people do the complete opposite. I mean, you can't really analyze it beyond the experience of the person that's experiencing it, can you, really? No, and I, I wonder if that goes for creation as well. Like, this this new album, this is not an album you could have made at 30. Um, that's, no, well, nothing I... I um, yeah, I can only make what I make at the age of, that I make it. <laughs> Sorry, I sound very intellectual <laughs> at all. Um, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, maturity, sure. I mean, when you listen to, you know, um, let's think, uh, listen to, uh, listen to the early Beatles albums and compare them with the later Beatles albums, you know, it's just an evolution, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I always wonder, you know, when I interview artists, they always seem to really be excited about the newest thing they've done, which makes perfect sense. Um, but I always wonder how they regard their early material. I mean, you know, like as a writer, I look at my early stuff and I think, ugh, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm a, not embarrassed by it, but I don't identify with it anymore. And I don't know how you are in terms yeah. of your of your work. Uh, in terms of like thinking about your progression as an artist, I mean, you don't disown it, but you certainly don't. I don't know if you identify with it as strongly as you as maybe you did thirty years ago. I have no idea. Mm, well, you know, um, you should ask Eric Clapton that, <laughs> and ask him, uh, uh, you know, and ask him what the fuck happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd have the guts to ask him that, Marty. <laughs> I think a lot of um, artists uh, lose uh, the ability to recognize about what uh, what's good about themselves. Where does that go? Well, you know, um, I think you lose the plot, 
the thread, the direction, the the uh, reason for why you're doing it. Uh, for example, you're in a a band that has a hit. It happened to me. I was in a band that had a hit. Right. But then everybody wants to hear the hit forevermore. So who's to blame? The band for constantly playing the goddamn hit that they don't want to play anymore? Or the audience for demanding it? It's a tough question. I mean, and I wonder if... And then there's that sort of the the third element is how does an artist continue to challenge themselves? Like, you know, like, like Louder Than More was saying that you have never sounded better, that you're at the height of your powers, which is such a great thing. And I, and I wonder, yeah. and I don't, and I don't mean to come down on Elvis Costello, but I haven't found Elvis Costello <laughs> very interesting for about 30 years, even though I, I, I appreciate that he's no. trying different things. I just, I yeah. don't identify with the, with what he's doing, but how does an artist, you know, age gracefully and at the same time artistically challenge themselves to either not play the hits and to do something different, but keep it interesting. I, I don't know if you have an answer. To that. <laughs> That's a tough question. Yeah, I do. I, I know the answer. Okay. I do know the answer to that. Okay. Be Scott Walker. <laughs> okay. I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> or Tom Waits. Yeah. You know, but they, these guys don't do much though. On the other hand, do they? What, what the challenge might be is to sort of be interesting and prolific as you get older that would be great that's what i that's what I, that's what i'm trying to be actually i mean you know i play guitar with anecdote the swedish progressive band i've got the the duo project with uh, nico my friend in sweden my german swedish friend called moat I've, I've got the uh nocturum project on our fourth album my wife and i tour together as a duo and i have solo records and you know, I'm about to go in the studio in April and play on an instrumental project called Atlantium. So I'm, I just try and be busy and eclectic and honest with myself about why I'm doing it. I mean, there's only one reason why I'm doing it. And I can tell you right now, it's not for fame. It's not for money. It's not for chicks. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's creative fulfillment. It's it's for its own sake, you know? I mean, uh, and the thing with me is is that I I can be I can be a, 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 you know, I say this to people that I work with, you want me to to play the bass and sing the BVs? Fine. You want me to write the songs, be the lead singer, play lead guitar and produce the record? Fine. You want me to sit in the corner and tell you um, if the direction of the album is good or bad? Fine. I don't mind. I'll be, I'll be, I can be whatever you want me to be in the creative process. And of course, when I'm working on my own thing, writing my own songs, then of course it's just me doing it the way that I see it. You know, collaboration uh, doesn't always have to, to mean. That, that, that you, or in my case, me, always has to be in charge of everything. Maybe, you know, David Byrne, when he collaborates, maybe he's kind of like saying, well, you know, we have to do it this way, you know? Uh, but maybe, um, 
I don't know, let me pull an artist out of the air. Maybe Phil Manzanera is happy to go along with how Dave Gilmore or Pink Floyd or sees it, you know, and, and, you know, maybe broken social scene. Maybe they have seven people who decide on the direction. Maybe it's just a collaboration that way. You know, any, it can be anything you want it to be. It's, there's no rules. There is no, you know, it, it, the hierarchy of creativity is, is, um, is a little disturbing when you've got people who are in charge and somebody else wants to do something and the person in charge won't let them do it. Even when the person who's in charge has got a worse idea than the person who isn't. But on the other hand, the person in charge has to direct the boat and, and uh, make sure that things don't go off the rails and you start making a record that you don't like. I mean, I've, I've done that before. I've made a couple of records where it's just kind of like not as good as the other one, you know, for some reason. I mean, I didn't think, I didn't think Starfish was such a great record. And Gold Afternoon Fix certainly wasn't. That must be a weird feeling... In, in terms of like, how do you finish projects like that where you're, where in your heart you know that it's not really up to snuff in terms of your standard? Well, yeah, but but what what is your standard? Nobody knows really what what's going to work. I mean, when you look at look at Maroon Five, how can they be so fucking huge? How is that possible? I ask myself that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and when you look at, I mean, I always buy, I mean, you know, uh, people are going to crucify me for saying this, but I always buy U2's records. Always. I always buy a vinyl copy of a new U2 album. And the last four that I bought, I was like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, I know. Uh, uh, and it's like, I'm so disappointed because I love the unforgettable fire. I think that's such a great record. And I hear what they do now, and it sort of sounds like they, they're sort of slaves to themselves, their, their, their persona, their audience, their size. You know, they're sort of, they don't sound like, it's like, here's another example. I mean, let's leave you two alone for a minute, because, okay. you know, they could, they, could be, they could be really terrible, and they're not really, well, Maybe somebody who likes um, maybe somebody who likes um, Ariana Grande probably hates you too, but um, <laughs> or Solange or Beyonce they would not be sort of uh, fans of you too. But um, uh, if you take somebody like um, who Fleetwood Mac, there's a good example. Okay, I went to see Fleetwood Mac a few years ago in a stadium with Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and, and um, uh, they didn't have Christine McVie in the band at that point and uh, Nick Fleetwood and John McVie and they had a different keyboard player, I think, somebody. And um, they went on stage in the stadium. They had a, they, the, the merchandise stand had hundreds of horrible brown and light blue T-shirts and no music and certainly no new music. Now, how can Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks not be putting out music more regularly? How can they not be, how could they not have an EP of four new songs? 
Why, why, is it, why not? Why are those people, they're rich, they're talented, they can write songs, play guitar, they can sing, they've got the, the, the hottest musician friends in the universe, and yet, there they are, playing fucking Say You Love Me for the eight billionth time to a whole lot of people who only want to hear the hits, and why are they doing it? Because they're getting a million dollars at the end of the tour. Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they do something, even if they want to do that? Even if that's, even if that's, that's, even if you can justify, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm an artist. I've been successful. I got a lot of expenses. You know, I need another million bucks to keep up my mansion. It's fine, okay. But come on, give us a record of, of good songs as well. You know, you can do it. Have you ever heard Lindsey Buckingham's solo albums? I love his solo albums. They're fantastic. Yeah. They're great. I love his them. His guitar playing is amazing. His songs, it's great. But why, 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 oh, so <laughs> frustrating. So frustrating when you can, when you can see the, 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 um, the business taking over the art because that's what's happening there. But for the sake of, I mean, the weird thing about them is that they could still make the same money and put out a four song EP. They wouldn't, they wouldn't not make the money just by putting out new music. So I don't, I don't know why they don't do that. I, it's, a, it's a good question. Yeah, that's right. Because their heads are in the wrong place. Obviously their heads are just completely in the wrong place. They, if the, if the, if the, if the band didn't make money, they probably wouldn't even talk to each other. They just know that they come together. They put up with each other. I mean, I don't know, maybe they're great friends, who knows? I mean, the new incarnation of Fleetwood Mac with, with um, Neil Finn and Mike Campbell. I've met Mike Campbell and Neil Finn. I love those guys. Um, I, I was always a big Tom Petty fan, and I've always been a big Neil Finn fan. I got all of his records. Um, and, uh, oh, and uh, you know, when Mick Fleetwood called him up and said, look, I want you to be the singer in um, Fleetwood Mac. I mean, how could he say no? You know what I mean? How could he? He just couldn't say no, could he? He just no. couldn't say no. Um, and uh, it's going to elevate his his profile to the point that where he, the next solo album he makes will probably do pretty well, you know, perhaps, because his profile is much, much greater than it was. Um, his last record is, is... Last two records are kind of a bit strange to me, but I like them a lot, but they're, they're kind of strange. Um and uh, I can't imagine that he's got a massive audience based on his latest output as an artist. But, with, but the thing with Neil Finn is he is really doing what he wants to do. You know, he just put out this thing with Neil and Liam Finn um, and where he tours, he's touring with his whole family. The whole family go on the road and play drums and bass and guitar, the, the, the missus and the brother. And, you know, so it's all a real lovely cozy family affair with lots of creativity and artistic reasoning sort of, yeah, I'm doing this cause I like it. Oh, and by the way, I'm getting paid, you know, 20 grand a night, you know, whatever it is, you know, probably not 20 grand a night, but whatever it is, he's, he's, he's doing the Fleetwood Mac thing as well and getting paid a whole lot of money, which means that he's going to be able to make more interesting artistic records in the future, which is what people with money surely should be doing. I mean, Mike Campbell's not really a, a singer. I don't think I've ever heard him sing. So, you know, he's just being a great guitar player and getting paid for doing that. But what about Dave Gilmore? Why, why, why is Dave Gilmore not making, 
you know, more interesting records? Why, why are they still making records that sort of have one foot in the idea of, hmm, is it going to get on the radio? Why are they not making records based on the idea, hmm, do I really, 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 really want to um, express this strange chord sequence uh, on this album um, uh, backwards or, or, or should it be uh, played on a bazooki? You know, why, why aren't they asking questions like that of their record instead of, is this going to get on the radio? I mean, I see what you're saying because people like Gilmore or Buckingham or whoever it may be, they can do whatever they want. Um, but well, they how choose... can they not be right. doing whatever they want? How can they not be doing whatever they want based on their history, their skills, and their age? And their... what 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 do they want? More notoriety? Do they want more money? Come on, they don't need that. And I'm sure they're nice guys. I met Gilmore a couple of times, well, once. And he was he was all right, you know. But, but they, surely, are they, are they, they must be loaded. Why wouldn't they just spend the rest of their life with their wives and their kids and their guitars and their and and in the studio and going on holiday and writing songs and coming up with ideas and putting them out? And who cares if anybody likes it or buys it? Who cares? It's also hard for me to accept that David Gilmore doesn't have like a vault of songs he's been working on that he just hasn't put out. Yeah, well, I don't. Isn't, but this is the thing: he's not a songwriter in that way, is he? He's kind of like a guy who thinks, "Well, I can write songs, so I'm so I must." And I I do sing great, so I will. And I am a really cool guitarist, so I guess I should play. <laughs> you know, right? But he's not driven. He's not driven as a songwriter to say, or, you know, like Roger Waters is. I mean, and I, I bought Roger Waters, like, I bought Dave Gilmore and Roger Waters' last records, and I was kind of initially, I really hate that song, Rattle That Lock, the Dave Gilmore song, which was the kind of main single from that record. Right. I thought, oh, God. But then I gave it a bit of a chance, and I kind of like it more now, but I was a bit harsh on it at first. But I, don't, I mean, I don't love it, you know. It's, it's okay. He's got some good songs on it. He always has. On an Island was a much better record to me. But Roger Waters' record, which is far more intense and far more interesting on a, on, a, on a lyrical level and far more engaging politically and deeper and creatively thoughtful. But, you know, it's oh, so tedious, you know? But so that's why these guys should work together. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but this is why I always love The Fall. Because Marky Smith just kept yeah. doing it. He kept putting records out, and, and he just kept sort of adhering to his own creative vision, and he really could care less what people thought. That's right, yeah. Well, I, you know, I made a record with his wife, Brick, Brick Smith, Bricks E. Smith. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, may, and I, met, I met him uh, once somewhere. Where was it? Was it in London? And anyway, Bricks and I... Um, Bricks took me to the pub to meet Marky Smith. That was a that was a, a, a fun afternoon. <laughs> how how was he? Oh God, he was he was nice to me. You know, I was with Bricks, so you know, he, I was kind of like I wasn't I wasn't a threat to him as a person. I was just a collaborator that worked with Bricks. I was writing songs and playing guitar with Bricks. You know, so uh, 
and she introduced me to him, and he was nice to me. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he wasn't nice to everybody, but he was nice to me. And uh, they gave the four gave us um, Brits and I some uh, studio time uh, after they'd finished uh, in the studio. They they let Brits and I go in and do some recording using their time. So they were they were super cool and nice nice. But uh, and yeah, I mean I mean Marky Smith. I mean woof. I mean, um, but he was I mean he was an original, wasn't he? I mean Brits used to tell me that he. Uh, They'd be on stage playing, and he would go up to the amplifier, and he'd pull the guitarist's lead out of the amp mid-song. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Why? He'd do shit like that, you know. Well, because just to sort of, you know, create some chaos to to change the sort of normal normalcy is that the word of the of the of the event to make something happen, um, breaking the mold. I mean, I can see, I can see what he was thinking when he was doing that completely. Um, not very good if you're the guitarist and you're just in the middle of a great part. No, but I mean, so what you drop the guitar out halfway through a song. So what? Probably a good idea. It might even work, especially in their kind of music, because let's face it, their kind of music, could could deal with that. I mean, you you wouldn't want to do it with you too. No, <laughs> you know, and and therein and therein is the problem. You know, it's it's so organised and so sorted out that you sort of it's kind of becomes kind of tedious, doesn't it? You know. So when you are creating, when you're writing like songs you wrote for the new album, how do you how do you balance? Yeah. How do you let the chaos in? And also and balance the creativity with it, so it's not too disruptive to to the process. Well, you know, um, I know uh, the younguns are probably sick to death of people in the sixties going on about the Beatles, but when you listen to the Beatles, you don't hear uh, uh, a system of doing things. You listen to the White Album, and you tell me what's going on between. Um, uh, Rocky Raccoon versus Revolution Number Nine. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, nobody can, can they? Because nobody's brave enough to do that. That's the problem. The the uh, what I hate the most about music these days, and actually, I say these days. I, I don't actually mean these days. I mean generally, is that. Somebody gets an idea, and then they spend the whole of their time regenerating uh, the, the same idea in different forms, whether it be the Smiths or ACDC or, um, you know, uh, Beyonce or whatever, or Kraftwerk, or everybody's doing, every song is a different version of themselves based using the same formulas often. How boring is that? Pretty boring. <laughs> right, but everybody's doing it. And you know, with bands from the from the seventies and the eighties that are going around playing their records, they're just they're just regenerating the album that was the most successful and the people don't want to even hear the new songs, the the songs for the from the last, from the 25 years since the big album. 
I mean, they just don't, they're just not, in, people aren't interested. I went to see Paul McCartney in Liverpool, and um, he, Paul McCartney came on stage and he said, um, I see that whenever I do an old song, all the phones go in the air and everybody goes nuts. And whenever I do a new song, everybody's kind of a little less interested. He even said this on stage in Liverpool. And he said, so here's another new song. Um, and cool. he's Paul, yeah, he's Paul McCartney. He, he doesn't, he doesn't care. But, uh, the thing with Paul McCartney is, is that even though he tries, you know, and his records, you know, they're sort of, you know, sort of like, it's a bit, some usually it's something okay, but they're often sort of like, eh, you know, whatever. And he, he faces, you know, he's the biggest artist ever, isn't he? Who's living. He, he's faced with that terrible situation of being the biggest artist ever and, and being one of the Beatles. I mean, nobody wants to hear the new song on his latest album, Egypt Station, um, when they would, could be listening to, uh, you know, Can't Buy Me Love. I mean, so the nostalgia is is destroying the art, basically, isn't it? That's what's happening. In fact, if I was more successful, I mean, I'm just a little guy, you know, who's made some records, been in a band that had a couple of hits, uh, been around for a while, made lots of different records and different people. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I'm not pulling... I don't even pull 200 people at a gig, you know? I, I just have my little dedicated little audience, which is great. And I love it. Um, but if I was, uh, if I was more successful, um, I might sort of like think about how to do things differently. Like for example, you can come and see me play and there's going to be two sets. And the first set is going to be all new stuff. And the ticket price for that is this. And then the second set is going to be all old stuff, and the second price, the, the ticket price for that is this. So if you're just not interested, then just come to the second show and see all the old stuff. But if you are interested, come to the first show. And you know what? If there's 20 people at the first show and 900 at the second, so be it. I don't want to play you old songs uh, to the new people, to the people who are interested in the new ones. I don't want to play. Uh, um, new songs to the people who don't care. So <laughs> yeah. that, that makes complete sense to me. It's a yeah. great idea. And I, and I think that you're, you're hitting on something interesting and in that, you know, people are so nostalgic with the, with the music that they listen to that, you know, they would be, they would be more content to hear the songs from 30 years ago. Um, I, I don't know why that is. They don't want to challenge themselves as listeners. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, is it is it really is it really true that people who have been successful and made good records are no longer worthy? Is it like the old age pensioner syndrome that when you were young and beautiful and had a flat belly and cheekbones that you were a worthy human, and now that you're old and your hair's getting grey and your belly's a little bigger, that we're not that interested in you anymore? Is it the same with art, really? Is it? Well, it certainly isn't with painting. I mean, no one, no one evaluates painters that way. But, no. Or, Why? Or authors. Or, or, or authors. Yeah. Authors. Nobody, no, nobody goes, oh, God, you know, Ian McEwan, poof, you know, <laughs> his first three books, they were, like, brilliant. But 
ever, ever since I got into my, you know, late 20s and all the books he's put out since I've been 28 to 42, none of them are as good as the first two, you know? Nobody says that about Ian McEwan. Well, his books are amazing, whether it's his first one or his ninth one. I mean, I've read 12 of them, by the way. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, it never worked. It's not true of him, of them, authors. No, it seems like if you're an author, it seems like, you know, aging is actually a feather in the cap. It's more wisdom. Yeah, that's right. But here's the, here's the problem, perhaps. Um, entertainment. Authors are not slaves to entertainment, are they? No. Well, often musicians are. The audience wants to be ent- entertained by, by, by a musician. Entertained. I mean, I can't quite figure out how Nick Cave got as big as he did. And I've got tons of records by Nick Cave. I've seen him live when, when you know, I've seen him live with 50 people in the audience and I've seen him live sold out in a 2000 theater, you know. And I'm amazed at how he managed to, to make people like him so much and his new stuff. And he's just the, the persona that he sold to the public. It's genius. I'm not even talking about his music or his voice or his lyrics or his suits or his hair. I'm talking about how he's just managed to convince people that whatever he does, uh, when it's new... It's just as relevant as anything he did that was old. Nobody goes to see Nick Cave and expects him to play the songs from the fourth album. Nobody goes and sees Nick Nick Cave and wants him to play songs from the birthday party. Nobody wants to go and see Nick Cave and particularly wants to hear a song from Murder Ballads, which is a popular record that he put out. Right. You know, they're just, they just, whatever he serves them up, it's they're happy they're content they think it's great and they go nuts and you know what you're standing in the audience at a nick cave show and it's men it's women it's old people it's young people it's junkies it's beautiful people it's ugly people (laughs) it's everybody is you know there's even various types of animals there of different sizes and shapes. You know, everybody, <laughs> he, he appeals to everything, everybody, the media, the press, the press, you know, the press are there. Um, the, the cynics are there. The positive people are there. It's just unbelievable how he's managed to do that. I just, I think, and you know what? I think he's great. So good on him for it. Um, but it's just a miracle how he's done that a mystery. I mean, he's, he's smart. He's interesting. He's innovative. He's intellectual. He's talented. He's got a vision. He's got, he's got everything going for him. And so isn't there lots of people like that who just don't get a break at all? I mean, it's just, is he just lucky? Is it just really in the end, despite all his, his attributes? just a lucky guy, you know. He's lucky he's not dead from heroin. Look at you Head in the clouds You floating ten feet off the ground The way that you feel There's no way that you're calming down You're moving at maximum speed You're gonna rip up this town 
There's something about Nick Cave where he you're watching him and he's work. It's almost like he's grappling or he's wrestling with the darkness. And that is the experience of watching him play. But someone like Ed Sheeran, who I to me, he's as befuddling as Maroon 5. He just stands there and doesn't doesn't entertain anybody. And he's massive. I know. Ed Sheeran is a great, great big mystery. Really, really great mystery. I mean, you know, when you think of all the singer-songwriters there are who are great, um, Ed Sheeran is a mystery. I mean, I guess it's because he sort of tapped into a teen market and that's turned into a teen market getting older and they've kind of gone along with him or something. I don't know. I mean, how he goes on with that little acoustic guitar and plays in the stadium and has people screaming, you know. I mean, Taylor Swift makes a lot more sense to me. When I, when I think about Taylor Swift's success, I can, I can make sense of that. Um, you know, she's she's a, a, a singer-songwriter. She's her songs are catchy and she's beautiful and and she's got the country thing going on and you know and she's getting older and trying to sort of change from what she was to what she is now. I I can't wait till Taylor Swift is forty-six. 
I reckon the album she puts out on her 46th birthday is going to be great. It's going to be like a Lucinda Williams album or, or, or a Joni Mitchell album. It's going to be some kind of interesting, well-crafted, lyrically profound masterpiece. You know? Uh, she makes so much more sense to me than, than somebody like Ed Sheeran does, you know? Yeah, the Ed Sheeran thing to me is a mystery. But I wonder, you know, also I think people look at him and, and maybe he's... Uh, you know, a little older than they are. There's maybe there's some sexual relevance. I don't really know. But when you do, you feel when you play. Do you feel that you have to entertain as well as you know play your music? I mean, is that is that a component that you resist, or is that one that you acknowledge and you have to adhere to? Well, you know, I'm kind of talkative, so I, I don't. I'm, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be cool. Or, or impress people with with that. I, I, you know, I I'd like to, you know, if I, if I had my way, I'd I'd go. The gig would be a lounge room with a stage, and we'd all get together and have a few coffees and a few drinks, listen listen to some um, records, um, have some cake, uh, read some poetry, have a right good chat about atheism versus agnosticism. Um, discuss which Ian McEwan books are good and which Ian McEwan books are not as good, and then uh, have a have a, a four hour concert where we played songs and uh, had a bit of a sing, uh, had a bit of a thoughtful discussion about lyrics to song number eighteen, and um, then we all went back to your house and uh, um, uh, you know perhaps had a um, a nice piece of uh, vegan cheese on toast. That sounds like a good night. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. Unfortunately, the problem with that is, is it's three days. <laughs> <laughs> that's an experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's how how I'd like to do it. And I'd also like, you know, I'd also like a a band. I'd also have four or five different people in the band, and we'd, you know, I'm doing this tour. I'm starting this British tour uh, next week. A couple, you know, two or three of the gigs are sold out, and uh, they're little little shows. But uh, the problem for me with it is, is that you know I've got hundreds of songs and lots of records, and uh, you know I'm gonna uh, rather than sort of thinking about what I'm going to be able to play to people, I'm thinking about oh god, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to play those. I'm going to miss those out. I mean, you know, from all the bands I've been in, and all the songs I've co-written, and all the solo records, and all the projects, it's pretty hard to. Uh, pretty hard to to know what to do and what to play and I, I want to play new songs um, I want to play songs from the projects that people might not know I mean I want to play a couple of songs from the Moat album um, I'd like to play a couple of new songs as well I've got new songs but I don't know it's pretty hard knowing what to leave out um, I, I, maybe you should do what Elvis Costello did and have the spinning wheel Right. Uh, I guess his songs are more. I guess his songs are more famous than mine, so that makes more sense. But maybe some of my songs, people don't know what they are. But I've got to, you know, on the other hand, I've got to pick out songs and sort of try and turn people onto things that they don't know. I mean, it's like the new Nocturum record. The new Nocturum records getting lots of great attention. I mean, you know, on the level of which I live, which is not, you know, Nick Cave or you two, but um, um, the people. Uh, have discovered what I do through that record. There's three albums before it, you know. 
That's right. What about the three other Nocturum albums? I mean, are you are they going to sort of go, woo, that's cool. I mean, that's what I would do. If I found something that I liked uh, by somebody, I'd go back and buy their other records, at least listen to them. Um, but, you know, I'm a nutty record buyer, so I sort of like to, if I find something I like, I like to hear everything that the person's done. I mean, if uh, I was listening to something the other day and I thought, ooh, I must go back and listen to the other six albums that they've done, you know. Right. <laughs> it's like as if as if there's not as if there's not uh, too little time in the day already. Um, well, you, know. you it's funny because you I, I you're gonna laugh. I actually think of you almost every day, and I'll tell you why. Because when you and I talked <laughs> about ten years ago, you told me about how you have, and I imagine it as this kind of monolithic thing, but. You had this massive collection of music that you yeah, that did. people give you that records. you buy, right? That you have this like huge. I imagine a compound of some kind, but you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, right. It is, yeah. And so, and you told me that you said yeah. it's very rare that I get rid of something. So, anytime that I, as a journalist yeah. or as a fan, am getting rid of something, I always think, what would Marty Wilson Piper do with this? <laughs> <laughs> He'd hold on to it and put it in a corner. <laughs> he'd file it he'd file it away you know and uh, I'd file it away now if I'm very sort of organized with putting things in alphabetical order and making sure I know where everything is so I'd file it away and I would keep the I would keep the German gatefold cover of the record I'd keep the English reissue of the of the album without the gatefold I'd keep the original Island Records version I'd get the Lithuanian version with the sort of shitty cover art uh, with the printing that's not working very well, and I'd uh, I'd uh, get the mottled uh, limited edition version, and I'd put them all together in the racks, and uh, there would be six different versions of the same record with different pressings, different labels, different cover art, and I would say, yeah, there you go. Of course, I've got to have all those. They're all different. Do you like that album? Uh, it's all right. Don't like it that much, but you know, I just stumbled across these different versions of the cover art. And uh, I can see that two or three of them on different labels because they're from different countries. So, yeah, I should keep that. Cool. I, you know, I, I imagine that my record collection, well, I mean, you know, my wife will probably survive me. And um, I hope that one day if nobody does actually come to my house and say, look, Marty, here's a million bucks. Go and buy your goddamn building. Start the library in the building. Have yoga upstairs and the vegan cafe downstairs and a little stage <laughs> and have all the records in there and all the books and it's going to be a great thing. I know you're going to die in ten years, but uh, just that the Marty Wilson Piper Library of of love and music, um, ecle eclectic uh, uh, collection uh, will be there until you know the sun uh, takes and envelops the earth and that will be a beautiful thing for future generations, but. You know, hopefully that's going to happen before I go to meet my maker. And if not, I'll just continue trying to keep things in alphabetical order and coming up with an excuse to buy, uh, you know, uh, the reissue of Aerosol Grey Machine by Van de Graaff Generator rather than food <laughs> that day. Well, it makes me happy that, that you're still an avid record collector and consumer of everybody oh, yeah. else's music. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. And I love all different kinds of things. I'm not a hip hop guy. I'm not a, I, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I just, I just doesn't, 
I mean, it doesn't do it for me, really. I mean, I, it's not like I have anything against that kind of music, really, but I never sort of... I mean, there's a couple of things that I put on now and again. You know, I can listen to a bit of Dr. Dre for 10 minutes and Snoop Dogg for five minutes, and, you know, I discovered Dreezy the other day, and I thought, oh, that was pretty cool. I liked it. But, you know, I'm much more likely to buy a folk rock album or a pop record or a psychedelic record or, a, a, you know, a rock record or a 60s record or a, an electronic record even, you know, a, um, something avant-garde and instrumental or vocal or whatever. I'm just, I'm just kind of more, I guess it's, maybe it's the melody thing. I'm just not just into the beats for the sake of it. Although I, what I do like about hip-hop is the beats. I do like the rhythms. I just never really can get into the blah, 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 over the top, you know? Um, so that's how unhip I am, you know? Not a lot of people seem to uh, um, like that kind of music when they get older. It's more of younger people seem to like that and hipster people like that and middle-aged people seem to like that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just not for me. I mean, you know, I, I, I like Stravinsky. Um, Olivia and I went to see... Um, um, Tchaikovsky uh, Ballet the other day um, and uh, two weeks ago we went to see Hilary Harm, the American violinist playing Prokofiev's Violin Concerto I thought that was pretty great uh, but you know, as I say I, I, I'd probably uh, have a listen to Rihanna's new album too I mean, I, I wouldn't, that wouldn't scare me off how are you in terms of finding new bands? Are you are you always are you always on the lookout for for new stuff? Oh, always, yeah, always. Um, um, that's what's good about Spotify, actually, because you can sort of get to listen and investigate things. What I do, I use Spotify as a instrument of research, um, and uh, when I find something that I like, if I've got any money then I go and buy the record. You know, I don't use, I don't stream and that's enough for me. I, uh, I might use, cause I travel quite a lot. I might stream, uh, you know, a lot, but in the end I will buy the record. It's like, um, who's got a new record coming out that I like, uh, that I haven't got yet. Uh, X hex. You know who X hex? Yeah, X-Hex sure. Are? Yeah. Yeah, I love I love Mary Timoney. I've always loved Mary Timoney. I've got all of her records. And um, X-Hex have got a, a new vinyl album. I've got the first uh, vinyl album of X-Hex. We've got a new one coming soon. I'm going to pick up that record, vinyl copy, but I might not even get to listen to it for six months. I might not get to where it is for six months. So, you know, I might listen to that record ten times on Spotify. and But still, I would buy the vinyl and, and have and have the, the, the vinyl copy of that in my archive. And one day I'll mosey on in there and say, ah, oh, shit, the XX album, I must play that. Boom, you know, and I'll put it on. Um, but I, I'm buying records all the time, just trying to get vinyl. I just got that Les Claypool and um, Julian, um, not Julian, and Sean Lennon record. Yeah, somebody recommended it for me. I haven't heard it, but I ordered it because it looked interesting. And uh, I haven't got it yet, and it's going to arrive at the archive and... I'm going to sort of, you know, probably hear it on the vinyl version. If not, I'll be, if I don't get to it, um, some, something will remind me that I must listen to that record because I ordered it, bought it, heard all about it, but still haven't listened to it. I'm not going to ha- hold out till the, till the vinyl version. I have to sort of, you know, listen. I'm going to have to 
succumbed to listening to it digitally um, just so I can get to hear it. I haven't heard it yet. I bought it. I've ordered it. I haven't got it. I still haven't heard it. But I, I, I bought it because uh, one of my, you know, I do this online songwriting and uh, and guitar guidance sessions with people. One of my um, uh, pupils, um, she, Joanne, she uh, recommended it to me. And, uh, you know, I said, oh, I, I believe what she says. So I... Uh, so I ordered it. I haven't heard it yet, but I've got it. How is it possible? I know you mentioned the Smiths earlier. How is it possible to avoid, you know, self-parody or making the same record over and over again or an iteration that's so similar? How does one creatively – I mean I think The Fall did a great job of doing that we talked about. But how do you avoid that and, are, and do you think about that when you are writing songs? I don't think about anything when I'm writing songs apart from what drops out of me when I'm doing it. And if it's rocky or 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 not rocky, <laughs> electronic, or if I'm playing the bass or playing the guitar, I don't I don't really think about it in those terms. I think about when Darren and I get together with an Octorum project, we just sit in the room and we say, you know, we pick up a guitar each or a guitar and a bass, and we just start messing about. And Darren might say, oh, should we have a loop? And then I go, yeah, all right. And then, or, he'll, or I'll say, should we have a loop? He'll go, oh, no, not this time. Oh, okay. And, you know, just whatever happens. And on the new Nocturne record, you can hear that there's you know, very moody songs and there's very rocky songs and there's very sort of, uh, um, sort of um, um, left of center songs and dark songs and light songs. And it's just all over the place. And that's what I want it to be. I want things to be all over the place. But you know what? I don't have a I don't have a rule. This is the thing. Who who as an artist wants rules? Who has to say? Who wants to say? My audience demands of me that I deliver this kind of music. Who would ever want to live in that in that world? We didn't get involved in writing songs to be captured in that crazy jail, did we? We got involved. The reason we're not working in normal jobs and we're, you know, putting our life on the line for can we pay the rent this week and, and uh, oh, shit, what am I going to do about that money I don't have? The reason we, we, we live like that is so that when it comes to what we decide to do um, creatively, we can do anything we want. We, don't, we, didn't, we didn't pick this life to, to be secure, you know, and art and creativity uh isn't secure and and i don't know i'm not saying i'm pablo picasso or anything but uh you know who's a, was obviously an eclectic genius with with, uh, with his ideas and his eclecticism and his you know sculpture to his paintings but uh you can you can see that that um you you need to be uh challenging the your your last idea in order to move forwards. You don't want to be, uh, to me, you don't want to be honing in on this same idea and doing a better version of the original idea. I would rather do a different idea than a better version of the idea that you already had. That makes sense. I mean, that, that to me seems like a, yeah. a wise way to go. But... If I end up doing a better version of something I did before, cool. I don't care, you know. If I, I just, 
follow the muse or follow the which way's the wind blowing today. If I feel if I wake up feeling happy, maybe I'll do something sad. If I wake up feeling angry, maybe I'll do something lightweight or vice versa. I don't know. It's just you just do what you just do what falls out of you. I don't want to plan it, you know. I just want to do what falls out of me. And and, and you know what? The thing is this. You're unique. So whatever you do will be unique to you. The worst thing you can do is A, cater for your presumed audience, or B, be so in awe of somebody that you like, imitate them. You should obviously be inspired by other people's work. I am all the time. I'm the guy with the massive record collection. I'm inspired by so many different things. But I, I think more in the terms of the magic of the inspiration itself rather than the actual, um, rather than the, the shape of what it is they created. It's the fact that they created it in the way that they did uh, out of nowhere. This is the amazing thing about art. You know, one minute it's not there. It's completely not there. Then you pick up a guitar or, or, or a pen and then you go, tra-la-la-la-la. Or, bu- 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 boom, or right, 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 right. And then suddenly you've created something that wasn't there, which could move millions of people to tears. How amazing is that? You know, why would you want to get in the way of that process by contriving it? Ah, doesn't make sense to me. Well, the way that you describe the collaborative process in Octorum, it actually sounds like a really easy process between you guys. Sure, yeah. But, you know, some days we maybe don't come up with something, but generally we do, actually. I mean, when I do my songwriting and guitar sessions with people, uh, sometimes I, I say to people, look, you know, come on. What, 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 what's stopping you from creating? Create. Let's start. One, two, three, four, G. There's a good chord. Let's start with that one. Da, 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 look over there. There's a lamp with a light on the lamp. Ah, and it's bright and there's moths flying around it why don't we write a song about the moths and the light and the darkness and then make another chord and then you know what maybe it's going to be shit but at least you created something and now you can move on and do something else you just got to get out of the chair and 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 stimulate and inspire and use your imagination uh, you know i was actually thinking about superstition today I was thinking that people aren't, uh, people haven't invented all their gods and all their ghosts and all their problems out of superstition. They've done it out of imagination. You know, they're not, they didn't, the creation of God, what an amazing imagination humans have to come up with that. (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty staggering. It's just goes to show the power of the human imagination. What about inventing this idea that people that are dead are going to come back, walk through walls, and scare you? What an imagination that must have taken. Yeah, there's something very artful about about superstition and all, and the sort of the embroidering. Yeah. That we that we you know put on those creations is is pretty incredible. It's amazing. It's just so so that the the 
the, the amazing thing about humans is their imagination, that mysterious consciousness that we have, that that we can suppress and turn into a terrible, boring, horrible, uneventful lives, or or see see the bright lights and the colors of the universe and just live for, I mean, being alive and being creative and learning to love and, and experiencing your children and seeing the world and learning how to say acrobat in Arabic, you know, <laughs> it's like, there's so much, I never understand people who are bored. How could you possibly be on this planet and be bored? Are you kidding me? You're bored? <sighs> Give me a break. When you hear people say they're bored, it must drive you insane. Oh, it's like, really? You know, it's, who has put a cork in your imagination? I mean, just undo the cork. I mean, maybe it takes imagination. I mean, this is the great paradox. Maybe it takes an amazing imagination to imagine that there's nothing to imagine. <laughs> Yeah. Or, I mean, it also seems like your imagination can free you and your fear can jail you because there are people who are creative who say, I have hit a creative wall or I have writer's block. But that seems like it's yeah. almost self-confected. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's the, that's the mind tricking you into not believing in yourself anymore. But I mean, maybe some people have less little, less imaginations than others. You know, some people are not very... Uh, um, some people are, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this is the thing. People are different. Some people are mathematical. Some people, you know, it's like my mum. My mum never got a joke. You know? If, if, if you told my mum a joke, she always looked at you like, what? What? Is it? what? what? Huh? She never, ever understood a joke. Her brain just wouldn't, go, wouldn't bend that way. No, it just some people don't like cats, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, fine. I, I, you know what? I don't drive. Never have a bit, but I never had a driving license. I, I haven't driven. I've, I there was a point there when I was sort of, you know, doing a little bit of trying, but I, I, I don't, I don't drive. I mean, I don't drive. I don't have a driving license. I've never ever had a driving license. I mean, my dad was, um, my dad was Merseyside, Liverpool area, Merseyside road safety officer. He used to come home with pictures of beautiful girls with their faces all cut up because they weren't wearing a seatbelt and they went through the windscreen. Um, you know, road safety campaigns trying to get people to wear their seatbelts so that that didn't happen. And so maybe I was affected by that as a kid. I just used to see, you know, to me, driving meant accidents <laughs> you know i don't know I, I, I don't know or maybe it's just because i got in a band and we always had a tour manager and we were always traveling somewhere and getting driven places and you know i was never sort of like ever you know needing the car to go out on a saturday night because somebody drove me to a gig and i was playing on stage and drove me back to a hotel so maybe it was just simply that i mean my wife drives so one of us drives i mean you know she drives, yeah, I cook, you know? <laughs> well, you seem like a fun guy to collaborate with because you seem very open to other creative ideas. Sure. And, you know, I don't mind um, 
but you know, some people would find that this is the thing. We're all unique and people are different person. I mean, I don't get along with everybody. Some people just walk into the room and it's like, Oh God, I'm not getting along with this person. Oh Jesus. You know, Hey, this guy doesn't like me. And you know what? I don't like him. There you go. See you later. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's about chemistry, isn't it? Um, I, you get along with somebody creatively or you don't, or personally, or you don't, you know, you, you think about your wife, you know, or your partner, whatever it is. You, that's, that's an amazing, magical, meaningful thing that kind of works. And then it doesn't, and then it does, or it never did, or it always has, or, you know, it's like every situation is different. That's another thing about being human, isn't it? It's just amazing. The potential, uh, different uh, things that can happen from one moment to the next. <laughs> it's just like incredible. You get, you wake up in the day. It's like, oh shit, what's going to happen now? You know? Are you are you good at taking criticism? Like when you're collaborating, are you are you good at that, or is that something that is is challenging, or are you open to? Well, it? well, it's not. It, yeah, but it's not criticism, is it? It's just exchanging ideas. What about this for an idea? Why don't we do a G there? Why don't we play a C minor there? Why don't we go into a kind of a real loud, noisy bit at the end here? No, I don't like that idea. Oh, come on, maybe it'd be great. Well, I don't know, maybe I don't like it. You know, or the, that conversation goes the other way. Why don't we go into a big, noisy beat with a G and a C minor here? It'd be amazing. It could be a real great, big, long answer. Okay, let's try it. Who knows how it's going to go? Sometimes people say, I don't want to do that. And other times people say, well, you seem to have a vision. You go ahead and make it happen. And then at the end, we'll judge it. So, I mean, no, nobody, knows, nobody knows the answer to, to uh, the best way of doing things, um, except some people might have a vision of what they don't want and what they expect from something that they are creating and that they have all these parameters that, that, and boxes that need to be ticked. And you know what? It's different with different people. I mean, in Anecdoten, um, Niklas, who's the sort of main composer in the band and the other guitarist, he and I, I mean, I've never been in a progressive, I've always liked some progressive rock bands in the past, but I've never been in a progressive rock band before. I've been in with them four years now. But so I found being in that band really, really challenging. Oh my God, learning the guitar parts in a progressive rock band. It's so tricky and, and, and complex and different timings and everything's really hard about it. But, you know, I persevered with it and he was really great and persevered with me learning things. And now when I get in a room with him, we just, as guitarists, we're just completely compatible. We play together, we come up with ideas together. I try things, he tries things. It just works, you know. It's not even the kind of music I ever played before I joined this band. And he understands the structure of that kind of music far better than I do. And I leave it up to him to, 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 um, to frame it and, and you know, uh, help me uh, understand what, what, how he sees this piece of music going, where he sees it going, how the structure works, the dynamic of it. And then I contribute by saying, well how about we did this? And what about this for a guitar idea? What about this part? Why don't we go to this court? You know, 
and and it just completely works. It just we just work together really great, you know. But I I, I was also in the Saints, and that was very sort of basic chords, very AED, you know, straightforward. And um, Chris Bailey had an idea of how he wanted songs to go, and I kind of. I ended up co-writing one of the songs with him on the album we did together, and uh, very simple, very straightforward, very very punky, and um, no problem. So it doesn't really matter to me what kind of style it is, but you know, unless it, unless it was a jazz group, <laughs> it was jazz. I'd be like, it, it, nobody would have me in a jazz group because I don't understand the, the uh, I don't understand the uh, theory of it and. Uh, I don't know all the chords, and I'm just—it's just not my thing. So, if somebody put me together with a jazz person and wanted me to collaborate, and they were very into their jazz style, it would just be a disaster. I mean, it might be interesting if they wanted somebody to mess with their minds, because that's surely what I would do, <laughs> uh, you know. But I—I uh, I wouldn't be able to collaborate with a jazz act. It just, uh, just couldn't happen. Well, you were saying that you—you know—you can do so many roles uh, musically. You can—you can play so many roles in a band or. Uh, if someone wanted you to do certain yeah. things, you could do it. Where are you most comfortable? Uh, I don't know. I'm just, you know, it's been a long time, so I'm happy being the, I'm comfortable. I mean, I, uh, a few years ago, I uh, joined a French band as the bass player um, and toured with them. Um, so, Sweet Gumtree. Um, I'm going to do some work with Arno, the same guy in August, actually, this year. Uh, but... I was very comfortable playing bass in the, in a French band. It was great. Everybody was French. <laughs> it was, it was a, a string section and, and me and a drummer and the singer who played guitar and keyboards. And uh, I just play, played my Ricky bass and I was happy as Larry doing that. Um, but in Noctorum, you know, Dare sings a couple of the songs and writes the lyrics to a couple of songs. We co-write all the songs. I take on most of the singing and most of the lyric writing and most of the guitars and bass but he does some of the guitars and some of the bass he does a lot of the backing vocals he's really good at that he's engineers it he's he's great with um uh, you know we produce it together but he's great in the studio so he takes on more of a technical role um even though he's very involved in the creative side um in moat i tend to be the guy that writes the lyrics and sings and nico He's kind of more of the composer, actually. You know, some of the songs um, I come up with most of them, and other things he's kind of written the whole theme and the melody and everything, and I just write some words. So I'm sort of I'm taking on different roles in in different uh, situations, and I I can't really say uh, I feel comfortable being the front man. I feel comfortable being the bass player. I'm 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 happy. All, all I want to do is not be. I don't want meanness. <laughs> yeah. That's, I don't, that's all I, that's all I ask. I don't want a mean spirited atmosphere. That's the, that's the only thing I ask. It's a simple request. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Is your discipline as a player? I mean, are, are you a guy who practices still a lot or what, what is your relationship to the guitar yeah. on a daily basis? Uh, well, because I'm involved in a lot of different projects, I um, I'm constantly working towards the project that I'm involved in. So I am pretty much involved. I mean, I've just been in Stockholm for a month in Sweden, 
working with uh, Nicholas for the new Anecdote and Record, demoing. So I've been playing guitar with him, and now I'm rehearsing for the British tour. So I'm playing lots of 12-string acoustic with my wife Olivia playing violin. And then when the tour finishes, we're, we're doing, I'm collaborating with a Liverpool musician where the last gig is. And then I'm going down to Penzance to play lead guitar on an instrumental album. So I'll be playing a lot there. And then I'm continuing working on the second Moat album where I'm sort of mainly the singer. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm constantly doing it, writing, playing. Uh, but, you know, I also watch Star Trek. <laughs> there's know. plenty of time for that <laughs> yeah you know or whatever it is i mean i was watching game of thrones and uh and uh the um the, the walking dead for the first five seasons but i really got sick of every time i went and sat down for dinner i'd have to watch somebody's head get chopped off so um i sort of kind of got over that um, there's there's less de- there's less decapitation in um, there's less decapitation in um, Star Star Trek. See you that? There's less decapitation in Star Trek. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> actually very true. <laughs> well, Marty, your your life sounds fun. I mean, your itinerary for the next few months sounds like a blast. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and uh, I've got a lovely wife who's a great musician and I've got, um, I just had a granddaughter. My, my, uh, eldest daughter just had a, a, a child three months ago. Wow. I've become a grandfather. Um, yeah. And, uh, got lots of interesting projects going on. So, um, uh, but you know, the pledge music campaign, that was a, a, a kick, um, in the head. You know about that? Yeah, I was going to ask you. It seemed like you guys got under the wire, but but or maybe not. Like, what happened there? No, we didn't. No, 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 we didn't get under the wire. What happened was that we made the record. Uh, we had we uh, um, financed the making of the record between us and the label ourselves, and then waited for the money, and only a certain amount of it came. So it's put us in a very awkward position um, financially at the moment. This like this next two or three weeks, uh, as we get into the British tour, is hopefully we're going to make some sell some t-shirts and CDs and some records and have some people at the gig so we can sort of try and get a little bit back on track because it's really taken a chunk out of our uh, 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 float floatability, is that a word? You know, uh, because we didn't get paid. We didn't get paid. Um, uh, a, a good chunky section of the money which was pledged. I know that what they did is fairly shameful. I I don't know if they're going to recover uh, from that, and I don't know if That's they right. should. What's What's your take on on them and their future? Well, it's it's more than fairly shameful. It's shameful um, um, because it, the, the the tragedy of it was such a great idea, and it really worked. You know, it was really working for people. It was really gave people like me the opportunity to to deliver something to uh, an audience that was there, that without all the uh, constraints of record companies, uh, uh, like it was in the early days, uh, but with also there was constraints, but they also they were giving you the money to make the records. What we managed to do was uh, make the records off our own back, sure, but you know we. We only invested what we did in the mastering and the cover art and the, the, the musicians and everything because we knew we were getting it back. 
but uh, and going into debt to do it. But what happened was is that it didn't come back, so we're now in debt because we didn't get the money which is, was pledged to us. Um, I, th- I think that they they apparently in April that's the time when the crunch time when we find out whether or not we're actually going to get the money. Um, I, they've, they've, they've so damaged their reputation. I don't know how they can continue uh, and maintain trust, really, um, and how they got themselves into this situation. It must have been that they they saw lots of money coming in and somebody thought to themselves, ah, we could make a lot of profit on the capital here and let's invest it in this high investment account. And then it didn't work and then they didn't have the money to pay the artists i mean they, they should have with the amount of artists that were using them they should have uh, managed to um maintain their business model and their staff with 15 percent of everybody's money you know that but maybe they saw themselves as a you know it's the capitalist model isn't it we've got a business and we're making money so if we're going to be a successful business, we have to make more money. Otherwise, we're a failure. And what they did is ended up um, failing. The, uh, they took their eye off the ball and ended up failing the original concept. Terrible. Well, I, mean, I think what's really shameful is, you know, anytime someone hurts you, you have to evaluate intent. And I think that their intent here was not good. And, and I think that's the worst part of all. Yeah, but you know, we don't know, do we? We don't know what we don't. We don't know what happened. I mean, this is the thing: you never know what happened. You just don't know. I mean, I can't. Obviously, it's it's irresponsible and and shameful and and terrible and damaging and and disappointing and and wrong and no any word that you can imagine. But we don't know what happened. Nobody's telling us why have they not got the money? Why have they not got the money that was being put into their system? Why is the money from my, my record not there for me when it's been paid by people? Why is my money sent to me, not paid to me? Why? How can they justify that? And I wonder with Pledge Music, I, I don't see them recovering, and I, but it makes me wonder what bands will do who were relying on that model. I wonder if it's an opportunity for someone else to do it better. Well, there's, there's a couple of things that could happen. One is we do it ourselves and see what happens. But the idea of Pledge Music was is that it got to you to more people, more exposure, and more people got involved because of their spam, uh, scope, what's the word? You know what I mean? Um, so we could try putting it, doing it on my website and see if people, if as many people are interested. Who knows? Uh, or uh, there's Indiegogo and there's Kickstarter. Or uh, so it's different different uh, startup um, sites. What do you call them? Fundraisers uh, or um, uh, pledge music um, recover and try and say, well, I'm sorry, it won't happen again, and we continue with them. Or pledge music recover and they um, change their name and uh, continue with the model. We don't know. It was so in the dark. Yeah, and it makes me wonder if you know if confidence is just going to be really even to do, you know Kickstarter, Indiegogo, people will feel kind of sheepish and and wonder if the same thing could happen. I hope not. <sighs> well, it's really bad for somebody like me because it really 
helped a lot. I mean, we did manage to make the record without the funds to start with, sure. But um, knowing we were getting some money for the investment really made made a big difference. <laughs> you know, so now yeah. now we've got another project which is half finished, which hasn't been put into a campaign yet. The new Moat album. And, uh, you know, how are we going to, what are we going to do about that? How are we going to, how am I going to pay Dare for engineering it? How how am I going to um, justify to him that, that you know, we, we are going to make the money to pay him when the project that the two of us have been involved in, Doctorum, the money didn't come through. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's a bad situation. It is, and if you find out in April that it doesn't go your way, then financially, that I mean, how does that how does that work? You'd have to eat what happened, or yeah, you just have to eat it, don't you? That's it, simple. Ugh, God, that's uh, and you just um, well, there's, no, there's nothing you can do. It just is what it is. Yeah, well, I hope I hope that goes your way. I hope I hope they're able to sort of. Uh, I, I hope that I hope that goes the right way. Yeah, well, you we know? all do. Yeah, um, some people, you know. I mean, we at least got our uh, album made, mixed, mastered, the artwork done, all the pledges fulfilled, and all the fans got the record. You know, at least we got that happening. Some people didn't get the record finished. That's right. Yeah, some people couldn't make the record without the funds. Oh, it's such a mess, Marty. I, I don't know how they're going to clean it up, but I'm I'm hoping they do. No. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, on a brighter note, your shows in the UK are selling out and that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you have a lot on the horizon. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, lots to look forward to. I told somebody that you were the nicest guy I've ever talked to. And uh, and that still holds true. I, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh-huh. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it, man. And uh, congratulations on the record. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the time that you took. No problem. Anytime. If you ever want to talk to me about, you know, the third Groundhogs album or what happened to the Island Records catalogue between 1971 <laughs> April and 1971 May, please give me a shout. I, I would like to have that conversation, actually. <laughs> That guy should have his own podcast, shouldn't he? Marty Wilson Piper. Uh, visit him online. By the way, I know it got heavy in the end uh, with the Pledge Music stuff, but the world needs to know what Pledge Music has done. So, you know, I'm glad it was in there. I'm glad we talked about it. Uh, visit Marty Wilson Piper online. Marty Wilson, two L's in his last name, dash piper.com. Visit the Indeep Music Archive online as well, indeepmusicarchive.net. Oh, and when you visit Marty online at his site, Take a guitar lesson. Do a Skype session with him. I think you'll enjoy it. He's a fun guy to talk to. I imagine he's a great teacher. I've heard nothing but great things about those lessons. So, uh, you know, get your guitar, get your Skype going, and uh, get in touch with Marty Wilson Piper and, you know, learn to play the guitar from one of the all-time greats. How cool is that? Now, I may not be offering guitar lessons at my website, alexgreenonline.com, but I am offering radio shows of all kinds, a podcast, a radio show, my books are there, uh, my appearances that are coming up, that's all there. 
I know. It's not as cool as taking a guitar lesson from Marty Wilson Piper, but, you know, it's close. Well, it's not even really close. But what can I say? I, uh, I'm not a rock star. I just talk to them on the phone. And yes, that's exactly how I have it written on my resume. Now, if you want to follow me on Twitter, do it, at Ember's Editor, or on Instagram, Ember's Podcast. That's how you can find me there, or you can email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Who should I book next on the show? Let me know. Email me there and put in your request, okay? If you're on iTunes, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us some stars, five of them if you have them. And since you're there, hey, why not subscribe to Bombshell Radio as well? We would really appreciate it. Let's close things off with another new one from Noctorum. This is a girl with no love. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I'll see you next week right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I want to know you. I want to show you.